Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast, the Ohio Outdoors Podcast. Uh, Paul and I are here tonight. We are fresh off of a, what, 24-hour stint at the Great Wolf Lodge down in uh, Mason. So thank you to all the people down there that catered to us and our hooligan children for the last uh, day or so. It was fun. It was a good time. Nice, nice uh, steamy, humidy I don't know what the hell you want to call it. It was great. It was it was a good time. We enjoyed the pool. Kids were just insane. Dude, and that was I a mean, great, we, great trip. Yeah. It really was. It we, was. We met up yeah. with with our buddy Jacob from Go Wild. So shout out to Jacob and his crew. Uh that was fun. And yeah, little hooligans all just ran crazy spraying each other and Yeah. It was a good time. Good good trip, man. It's good to catch up with Jacob and, and meet his family and yeah, it was cool, man. Enjoyed enjoyed the time with our our family and and, and wives. So yeah, it was a good good time, man. Good good, uh, good pizza. The pizza was okay. Yeah, for for being you know hotel pizza, if you will, it, it wasn't bad. So it was a good vibe down there. They they still had all their Christmas decorations up and music playing, and you know that's something that dies hard in our our family every year. The girls just love Christmas. They want to hang on to it. They want to watch Christmas movies and listen to music, and you know that. Uh, Hopefully that was the final. I uh, final version. Okay, so here here's real life funny story. Well, first of all, we've taken all the decorations down and stuff. Like, I I get it, but it, that's got to come to an end. It was Christmas night, I think, Paul, and uh, the kids are laying there in bed and they wanted to watch a show. And at first, they wanted to watch, you know, Frosty the Snowman or something like that. I'm like, no, nah, we're done. We're done with that. So what what do you guys want to watch? Sharks versus tuna. So next thing you know, we watched some Discovery Channel like documentary about sharks and tuna fish. That's that's good. That's a good one. That's a good substitute for Frosty the Snowman. Christmas Day, I'll still allow it. You know, you, you get in the spirit and all that stuff. I get it. But my wife, dude, it's like it's like the day after Halloween. She's like, all right, let's uh, we set the Christmas tree up. I'm like, dude, it's November first. Like, well, no, we're not setting the Christmas tree up. And then Christmas afternoon, she's like, take it all down. <laughs> So, oh, funny. That's good stuff, man. So, uh, good stuff. So, what else you been up to? You been out in the woods at all? You know, I went scouting. I got uh, my my archery hunt starts up. I started yesterday, actually. I, I obviously didn't go to that, but uh, I went out, set up, set up tree or a uh, trail camera, and uh, found a ton of deer sign. I've gotten I've gotten a couple of bucks on trail cam. One I sent it to you. One good deer. One good buck. A ton of does. Uh, it's a neat place. I'm I'm looking forward to look forward to diving in. I'm gonna try. The weather's really crappy tomorrow, and I don't feel like hanging from a tree, dude. When it's you know windy and rain, and you know if I was you know over you know for the year, I'd probably go out. But no, this is the first year deer hunting I've ever been able to be particular about when I go. So 
Yeah, you might as well at this point. And you've got what the whole month on that property? Yeah, I got the the month the month of January. So, so you can be yeah, look. Yeah, that depends on the weather's like, right? I don't, if it goes back to the polar vortex or whatever, you aren't probably going to go out in that crap either. So I don't know. I might because I I mean technically I still have a buck tag in my pocket, uh, you know, for for the state this year. And I mean, if there's going to be some big deer walking around when it's spitting snow, I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. But I haven't duck hunted once this year, man, which is insane. I, I the my buddies have been going out; they've been chainsawing. Justin and Brandon have been chainsawing through freaking nine inch ice and killing ducks and having a good old time. I just can't make the time, man. And it's it's kind of it's kind of wearing wearing me out. I got I you know I don't know. I got my duck. I got all my duck stuff ready, packed up, ready to go. Just haven't had haven't had the chance, so mm. I don't like that. Some duck hunter I am. No bueno. I'll but. tell you what, man. Uh, I had a camera tonight that was just blown up. I sent you guys some of those pictures, but you did. Um, I would love for yeah. some of those uh, bucks to make it through the uh, muzzleloader season, and uh-huh. feel free to drop. Dude, ain't no, I ain't no muzzleloader on that by you. Right. It was some my permission slip months, and we come out and shoot that. That one deer was like it was like seven inches outside of his ears on each side. It was a wide deer. Yeah, and I'm not a deer age judging expert but i can't imagine he's over two and a half i mean i think he's still pretty young so he didn't have like the the mass the antler mass that you see with those big mature bucks but he was still a damn damn good he was wide yeah so he was yeah he was he was real wide hopefully he makes it through there but um let's see paul what do we got from around the state you got so we don't have anything from the state do we uh, nothing fun. So just some of the stuff that I get. I've got, um, you know, encouraging people to get out and hike, which given the weather conditions and it's new year, got your resolutions, need to drop a few pounds, get outside, go with the family, good times, good places to go hike around the state. Um, that one was cool. If you're into birding, uh, lots of good birding opportunities around Ohio during the winter. Um I think the best one I I, I got, um, just the idea of, of repurposing your Christmas tree, and I've done this for years. Um, I'm not really sure if it does anything, but if for nothing else, there's probably a field mouse out there that enjoys having a little bit of cover from a, a dead tree, at least for the moment. But um, there's different things you can do with that. And if you've got excuse me, access to a pond or something, toss it in there uh, so that the uh, you know fish have some some area to habitate. Yeah. Habitate. Habitate. Have some habitate. habitat. That's too. a very George W. Bush pronunciation yeah. of a word. Habitate. You're welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. So uh anyways. That's why we're idiots, Paul. Idiots, Paul. Wow, I cannot talk <laughs> today. Can you tell the last couple of days? All right, so, All right kids. Uncle Paul's gonna take over. So listen, gun <laughs> Midwest Gunworks, MidwestGunworks.com. Uh, I've been screwing around. They have a, a gun parts finder, Andrew, so you can just type in like the part that he's laughing. Stop it. Uh, the part that you're looking for. They've got some really obscure stuff on there. They've got a massive category of gun parts. So if you are a gunsmith, you tinker in your basement, your garage, whatever it is, MidwestGunWorks.com. Use the code Ohio Outdoors 5 Andrew, you'll save yourself 5% on any order. TetheredNation.com. I'm getting back up in the saddle tomorrow, Andrew. Looking forward to that, man. Um, those one sticks, I keep seeing those pop up. They're, they were running a sale. I don't know if they're still going on, but uh, check them out, tethernation.com. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Go Wild. Time to go wild.com. You guys have heard us talk about it. 
uh, every day. Love those guys. Love the platform that they built. Love the community that they built. You you can you can ask questions. You can learn if you are a new hunter. You can learn or you know you can drop knowledge with other people if you are a seasoned veteran hunter. So it's an awesome community to just share ideas, to share experiences, and and to not be you know criticized you know by people that, that don't understand what we do and why and why we do it and why we love it. Time to go wild.com. Andrew, the the go wild product of the week. A little foreshadowing here for our guest today. Click belts. They have a click dog dog collar. See your your pronunciation's infecting me. Dog dog collar. Look at like, bucks. Let's just get the elephant out of the room. All- okay. I think we're both still a little bit off from that stupid Buckeye game the other day. All right. And mentally, I my brain has not worked right since that that evening. So apologies well, to the world. That's because you drank too much, Andrew. It's not because of the Buckeyes. I, I my <laughs> there was so much yelling. There was so much yelling. So anyways, back to the dog collars. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. It looks like the click belts, but it's for your dog. So hunting dog, non-hunting dog, boom. Click dog collar, 39 bucks. Time to go wild.com. Get on the app, Android, Apple. Find me on there, Paul Campbell. Find Andrew Mutz. He runs our O2 page on there. You can find us on uh, on on uh, Go Wild O2 podcast. Uh, and then finally, last but not least, I'm wearing our hat right now, First Light, firstlight.com. ton of stuff going on. If you're looking for uh, you know products for turkey hunting, Yes, I'm going to throw that in there once at least. Uh, man, the Obsidian Merino pants that I bought last year, fantastic. Durable, really, really kind of kind of stretchy material. I mean, I wouldn't go through a weed patch with them, but I really liked them. Big fan. Uh, the other thing that I really like, too, is that Sanctuary 2.0 jacket. And I've gotten to use it like a few times. And I think I've talked about it a couple of times. But, dude, that thing, it is a... Like, I mean, you're just in like a blast furnace, but if you get too hot, they just got those zippers. You just zip it out, dump some heat, move on with your hunt. So yeah, check them out. Firstlight.com. Find them on Instagram. They got all sorts of stuff on there. Uh, cool content that they're putting up every day. So thanks to the sponsors of this program. We appreciate each and every one of you get on there, check them out. Let us know what you think. And just other than that, and you can also leave us a review. What are you going to say? Sorry. On that note, a couple things we're going to do. You're going to see us do more with Go Wild this year. <clears throat> so I think that, that that organization, those that group of guys, has so much energy and ready to go. Like, Just keep uh, on, on top of that because we're going to be doing all kinds of fun stuff with them. And then you and I are traveling down to go visit with Cameron at Midwest Gunworks here in the next couple weeks. And so we'll have a show. I don't think it'll be next week, maybe two weeks, um, three weeks. We're going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about you know what they have to offer and really cool stuff because um, that's a, a great organization that's up and coming and really i mean they, they're just aw- they're doing great stuff so they're not up and coming they've been established that's for not decades what I, yeah. I still yeah, can't yeah, talk that, okay i'm just yeah. maybe i'm just no you're stop. good don't do that you look good the Where's beard is little... looking better it, it's you need to, to put a beard off. picture up on on go wild i don't you feel free to shave it i mean you completed the challenge this year man i did but Back I, in what? I said that in July, something like that. Something. You're good, buddy. <laughs> uh, or just shit. grow the grow the giant what the Amish beer, the whaler. You know, where you drive you know things down to like your chest, but you shave the, the mustache. So I saw a couple of those at Great Wolf Lodge today. There was some interesting beer. different things at Great Wolf Lodge, but Oh man, what a what a day. good people watching. Anywho, um so I told you I wasn't gonna t- I was gonna tell this story if I can talk. Um Yeah. Our guest today is Chris Powell, 
and Chris is from the Houndsman XP. Uh, I th- this is one of the best interviews I think we had, and Chris oh, is man. Chris is a very good interviewer, and he does a very good job on their show. I mean, they've got a a hell of a following, and um, very very good at what they do. But this gave him the chance to talk and and different things. Anywho, Chris is a great guy, very funny, and we I was texting with him earlier, asking for. Um, picture for to you know to use on the social media and whatnot so he sends me back this picture of him and this massive margarita and asked if this will work <laughs> and of course that's funny but what it reminded me of paul and uh, i think this is a clean enough story to tell on our our show um but two star show <laughs> when i was on uh when i was in grad school i was applying for a scholarship or something and i needed a letter of recommendation so i went to my graduate advisor and I was like, hey, Dave, can I have a, you know, can you write me a letter? Because I need to put it with a scholarship application, blah, 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 whatever. He's like, no problem. I'll put it in your mailbox. So I go down to my mailbox later in the day, and there's this note in there. Now, most of the time somebody does this is in like a nice envelope and sealed or whatever. No, no. This is just a like piece of, you know, copy paper. <laughs> and on there it says, quote, I saw this dude do two lines of blow back to back at a party. He's qualified. Dave, and it's written like a four-year-old would write it. Hilarious, okay? Probably wow. one of the funniest things. And if you know the guy, it's like, it makes sense. But, yeah, I, I read this note, and I didn't know him that well at the time. And I'm like, is he serious? And I, like, walked into his office. That's, like, not, that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> I didn't do that. So, uh, and, uh, yes, officially not. That was not a true story. Uh, and then the fact that he wrote that out was was real, but it wasn't actually based on a true story so oh god yes anywho funny chris powell he's the man behind one of the the guys there behind the huntsman podcast yeah so he's he obviously houndsman xp the guy's a houndsman he is like an elite houndsman uh man they really do a nice job with the podcast him and the crew that they have over there so this this isn't about like hound hunting in the sense that of of how to do it how to train a dog it's not that this is very much like this is a learning experience for for people that haven't been around the culture of houndsmen and 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 hunting with dogs and and all that goes into it and it's really it's just a really good talk a really neat talk it was i i i'm going to tell you man it was the most enjoyable talk that we've done i mean i freaking enjoyed every minute of this and one thing listening to chris's uh Chris's podcast. One thing that he that he communicates really well and really effectively is the the threats that are there from outside forces. And we'll dive into those in the podcast and people and organizations to the hunting and fishing culture that we all participate in. If you listen to this, you're a hunter. You know, you 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 are an angler. You are an outdoorsman. You enjoy it. You you know, a lot of you your your lives revolve around what we get to do in the woods. And there's a massive threat to it. And there's so many people, uh, you know, I, we've talked to them. There's so many people that are naive to that that think that it's just, you know, we're, you know, people are blowing smoke, but it's not. And just because it's, it, it doesn't affect you and the sport that you love, I'm going to use me, turkey hunting. Do you know one's? I mean, there aren't people that, there aren't organizations out there that are specifically targeting turkey hunters. Like we're just the worst people on the face of the earth, but there are people that are targeting trappers. There are people that are, that are targeting dog you know, people that hunt with dogs, you know, bear hunters, mountain lions, predator hunters, all of that happens. And Dan Johnson has talked about it. If if they win those battles, Andrew, what's next, man? I mean, it's a zero sum game for these organizations and for these militant people that are anti hunting. So 
man, we have to be prepared, you know, and be educated and be responsible in the things that we do. And Chris Powell does a really good job about communicating that battle that we're always fighting, whether you like it or not, it's always going on. And so we talk, we talk a lot about that. So that's how we, in the you know last 20, 25 minutes of the show. And it is fantastic, man. If you don't want to listen to the dog stuff, I don't care. Thumb through through that. Do not miss it. Do not miss it because that is, is dynamic and it's powerful and everyone needs to hear it. The dog stuff, the cultural stuff, freaking awesome. So do yourself a favor. Listen to the whole episode. Don't, uh, don't hit, don't hit it forward. So, and I'll tell you what, man, it's, it never ceases to amaze me when we get somebody on who's like very much an expert in that realm, how much I don't know about stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, we talk a lot about white tailed deer. Okay. That's one of my main passions in the world. Um, it's, it's, it's very popular within our country, but there are so many other niches that are, are fun and, and, and things like that. Like the houndsman idea, uh, I don't know anything about, about the dogs and I know we didn't get into like the techniques and different things like that. But I mean, we were even afterwards talking to Chris about, you know, well, do your dogs, they, do you have to have dogs for raccoons and for bears? Like there's just. No, you know, like there's so many things there that I don't I don't know. And we can go down the line and, you know, I'm not an, a master hunter outdoorsman. Um, that's why we get guests on that, that that are. But like houndsman, duck hunting, upland bird fishing. There's so many things out there that that, you know, you can be an expert on. And I don't know. There's just and I guess that's where the, the fun and and all the gear and all the other stuff that comes along with it. The experiences to go out um, and enjoy these different activities. Uh, Chris just brings a different, a different side of the table. So, and I think, is he retired game warden? Is that what I caught? I picked up out of that. He was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, I don't think he said it officially, but I know he spent, he, he said he spent some time, some a couple of decades, I guess. So yeah, guys, sharp, man, sharp. You guys are really, what's Clay Newcomb say? You're not going to want to miss this. <laughs> I can't do his Arkansas accent, but you know what the hell I'm talking about. You're not going to miss this, man. This was a, a, phenomenal talk good absolutely show. phenomenal good show so i uh, hope everybody enjoys it uh we got some good stuff coming up uh here in the near future someone give us a review someone give us a review so that stupid two-star review isn't the first damn thing yeah i said it that you see when you look at it we're sorry things got a little weird on the o2 podcast the last couple of episodes we love you sorry for the foul language the the first person that gives us a review that's not two stars yes i'm buying a review months we're gonna send you something so <sighs> I'm fired up. Yeah, Chris Powell, it. dude, freaking, freaking awesome. Yeah. Oh man, you guys are gonna love this episode. Hey, check us out though on Instagram. It's uh, the.o2.podcast, but preferably on Go Wild, uh, the O2 Podcast. What else, Paul? We got the website is the02podcast.com. If you got anything there, um, yeah, TikTok. Oh yeah, <laughs> I haven't even really logged onto that thing in a month. So I don't know what's on there. <laughs> so, but enjoy right. it. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk soon. Yeah, we'll just, I mean, I guess we'll just dive right into it. Uh, like I said, we wanted to, to just talk about kind of the culture around being a houndsman and, and, and sure. you know, how, how you got started. So was that, was that something that, that you were born and raised in? No. Hunting with dogs? Okay. Did you grow yeah. up in a hunting family? Yeah. Yeah, we hunted. And uh, are we rolling? We are, yeah. Okay. <laughs> smooth <laughs> smooth transition until that moment. 
Yeah, it was a very smooth transition. I'm a yeah. rookie at this podcast stuff, you know. No, I you're don't not. Do you are you are elite, my friend, and we all know that's true. <laughs> oh man. All right. So early beginnings, starting with sucking my thumb and toting a blanket around. Uh, you know, it was uh grandpa had bird dogs, my dad bird hunted. Um, you know, I just grew up with the hunting culture, but uh something about the hound hunting deal. When I was a kid, you know, I'm 50, I'll be 54 next month. And uh, when I was a kid, you would go to Thanksgiving and there were always any family function. And, and the older generation talked about hounds, either bird dogs or, or coon hounds or, you know, just it was, it was just more of a normal type thing. You know, in those days, a white-tailed deer was a rare sighting in um central indiana you know we had to travel i remember the first deer that we saw uh we we were in in the house and and dad came in and goes there's deer in the field across from the house we we lived out in the country and we i remember going out and watching uh three or four white-tailed does you know bounding through this the the winter wheat field across and it was an anomaly we just we didn't have that but uh we rabbit hunted a lot. We trapped a lot. We had plenty of raccoons. And, and, uh, so, and, and then at Thanksgiving, we would go out to an uncle's house and, uh, he had tons of hounds. And I remember just being a little kid and just walking around and going from hound to hound and talking to him about them and him telling us what the dogs were. And, uh, you know, if you went over there anytime and you stayed, you went out there for supper, if you were parked behind him, I mean, he, he, you weren't going to keep him home. He was going hunting and, uh, uh, we would sit on the porch and I remember just being a, a small kid and, and, uh, sitting out on that porch and you could hear the hounds running off in the distance. So he knew that my uncle actually is the one that knew I had the, the, um, draw to, to hunting and hunting with hounds and stuff. And he set me up with my first hound when I was 13 years old. So I've been, uh, pretty steady steady in the hounds or tree dogs of some sort since then i had a little bit of break for you know my military service and and um and then uh took a couple detours here and there but but for the most part for the last 40 years i've i've been in a full-fledged houndsman (laughs) Yeah. yeah so so 13 years old what was the what was your first dog uh, it was an English red tick and it was, it was probably a lot better dog than, than what I was a houndsman. I'm sure it could have been, it had a lot more potential than I could, I could give it. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I, I was just happy to have a dog and, and, uh, I remember just piecemealing any and all the gear I could. I, I made my first leash out of a, out of a, uh, binder twine you know the the sisal rope that was on a bale of hay and i braided it together and and uh braided a a snap in one end and a handle in the other and and uh, just wearing hand-me-down stuff or you just you just did whatever you had to do back then you know and and wearing hand i remember when i got my first pair of carhartt bibs and a pair of gum rubber green boots that said coon hunter on the front from nightlight nightlight catalog you know i thought i had arrived buddy i have made it and uh 
you know, we walked from the house and, and we could get mom or dad or I was the oldest. So mom or dad would, would drop me off, uh, you know, in the next section over and I'd hunt my way back home and, and things like that. And then when I turned about 16, then, then, um, you know, I started having friends that had, had, uh, that were coon hunters too. And we started running around and, and raising a lot of, a lot of, chaos and mayhem in the neighborhood at night you know and and nobody cared you know that's the thing nobody cared you would run it i'd run into the huffmans and they're like what are you boys out here doing we're coon hunting he's like well have fun you know and it was just that way all across eastern bartholomew county in indiana and uh there was only a couple places that that we knew we weren't supposed to be and at that age you had to go anyway because you know that's probably where the ghost coon lived and so you snuck in and and uh learned how to walk through the woods with your light off and and stuff like that but uh you know it 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 was just uh for the most part nobody cared and we didn't go in those places intentionally we were actually scared to death there was this one place over on clifty creek we called her the rifle woman because if she heard your dog in there she'd start shooting and uh you know we had permission we had permission to hunt all around her and sure enough a dog would get in there and we'd be just scared to death sneaking in there there, you know and then you tell the big tales about making it out barely making it out alive you know that's great that's a great story so 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 chris for the for the uninitiated what is the ghost coon uh the ghost coon was uh a, a coon that that uh Billy from the Red Fern Grows, the the nineteen seven, I think it's a nineteen seventy four movie. I maybe I don't remember what year. That sounds a little bit old, but uh, where the Red Fern Grows is an iconic movie, classic movie. It was a book, and uh, there's a tale end in there about the ghost coon and chasing the ghost coon. Yeah. So is that like? Did you read that as a kid, and that was just inspiration for you? I. I probably, I don't know if I read it before I started hunting or after, um, I know I read it in junior high school and, and, uh, had the me- movie memorized of course. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, so yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a, a, a pretty, pretty inspirational thing for me. And, uh, uh, yeah, Stuart Peterson is the guy that played Billy, Billy Coleman in that movie. He's an outfitter in, um, uh, just North of Cody, Wyoming. So I plan on meeting him when I'm out in Cody for the, uh, the American bear foundation banquet next month. Oh, very cool. That's yeah. another, that's another thing that, that we'll have to talk about. Uh, the bear hunting with, with coon dog or pound dogs. Mm-hmm. I've watched videos of that and that looks freaking intense, man. I mean, that just, and I, I, I actually, I think any, any hunting with a dog is just intense. I mean, the dogs just ramp up everything and I freaking love it. I'm here for it. I'll, t- I'll tell you that I've, I've dabbled, uh, with, with, you know, being able to hunt with some dogs and I enjoy every second of it. So we'll, we'll for sure dive in into some of that. So I want to, I, I want to talk about like, like coon hunting, and sure. for for like for deer hunters and you know turkey hunters or waterfowl hunters like all of us have like this hatred for for the raccoon 
for whatever reason, for turkey hunters, it's because they're nest raiders sure. and you know, they, 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 you know, they prey on, you know, young juvenile turkeys and all that. And for deer hunters, it's because, you know, they just climb up your tree and shit on your tree stand. Right. Like, like right. that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the issue with them. So, but then there's just this, and I'm going to use this term uh, pun absolutely intended. There's this rabid contingent of, of hunters that just, man, just absolutely love coon hunting and it's what makes you tick and you look forward to it. You put all this energy. Mm-hmm. So, so what's kind of the draw to, 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 to coon hunting? You know, coon hunting is, is a great gateway to a lot of hunting. Um, you know, you can take kids coon hunting, you get them out there in the dark. They're already on edge. It, it you know, it's an exciting adventure for them. Cause mom, you know, especially in today's day and age, nobody lets their kids go out in the woods at night anymore. And so if you can take kids out in the dark at night, it's really a a different world for them as they are experiencing the world at night, you know, looking at stars and, and the whole time you're out there, it's not like you're putting them in a, uh, you know, blind and sitting on a food plot and they've got to be quiet and, and things like that are trying to call a Turkey in and they've got to be quiet. You know, if they get bored, send them over to the creek and let them try to catch crawdads in the creek with a light. You know, that's that's fine, too. Um, but, you know, most of the time it's pretty action packed. They they are really interested in um, uh, what the hounds are doing and things like that. But the draw the draw is, you know, uh, y- y- every person that goes out and buys a coonhound pup. And I don't care if you're a beginner or if you've been doing it for 40 years when you picked it pick that puppy up maybe you bred that dog maybe you've been breeding several generations of this line of hounds every time you select that pup you think this could be the next great one this could be it this could be the best ever this could be the next world champion um and and that's that's what keeps houndsmen in general not just coon hunters but but all houndsmen you know there's there's a mystique to it and and you're you've got this life of this dog uh, you know, this hound puppy, he's dependent on you for everything, you know, everything from food to training to, you know, all of it, he's dependent on you and you form this bond and this partnership. And, and that's, that's the really cool draw to it. You know, and when you see that all come together, it may be a year and a half from the time that, that, you know, you first, like for me, breeding hounds, you know, sometimes it's a year and a half from the time of the breeding to the, the pups being born to growing to the, the age where they can really start to, to do the things, you know, when they get it all pulled together, that could be a year and a half later that you've got invested in this, in this hound. And, uh, it's just, it's just something that, um, you either love it or hate it, you know, um, but most people, when they go, if you get the bug, you're, you're stuck for life, you know, if, yeah. if you want to be financially successful, don't be a, you know, don't be a houndsman. You know, if, <laughs> if you want to find out how to be a millionaire, start with a billion dollars and buy a hound, you know, you'll be <laughs> a millionaire funny. real quick. You know, it's funny, Chris, I was listening to your show the other day where you're talking about all the different uh, antibiotics and medicines and stuff for the, oh, for the yeah. dogs. And I, I look at my wife and I go, I, I feel like this, this seems like it would be kind of an expensive venture. And normally I'm one that's like ready to dive into that kind of stuff, but I can't even think. I can't even like wrap my head around all the, even not even dollars, the time commitment, everything else that goes with it. It just seems very, like a very expensive and costly uh, hobby, albeit it seems 
awesome, but you know, I've I've hunted everything. I've I've got Pope and Young deer on the wall, a traditional bow hunt, um, killed turkeys with flintlocks. Um and I'm not I'm not trying to pit the last thing that we do on my podcast is try to pit any group of hunters against the other. But you know, when it comes to a lot of different styles of hunting, I can put the gun in the safe, you know, and, and bring it out a couple of weeks before season and zero it. Um, I can, I can do a quick check on my gear, you know, before I go on another type of hunt. But when, when you do hound hunting, it's a 365 day a year commitment. Um, they're not going to feed themselves. They're not going to exercise themselves. And, and just the amount of property that it takes to hunt, you know, you've got to, you've got to go around and maintain landowner relationships and community relationships and things like that. So it is a big investment other than just financial, you know, one tracking collar that we run on a dog costs $350 from garment. And I've got six of them in a bag sitting over here on the shelf. You know, and that's just the tracking color. That's not the handheld. That's not the drive track. That's not the antenna. That's not the $3,000, $2,000 dog box in the back of the truck. We're talking about in today's day and age, you know, I know of one hound that's that's um, out there right now. And if if you shift gears a little bit and get into competition coon hunting, then, and, you know, this dog's won $400,000 in the last 18 months. That's amazing. It's better. Yeah. Paul, There's a whole different culture incredible. out there. That, yeah, it's it's a bass fishing culture. We're giving yeah. trucks away. We're giving, you know, hundred thousand dollar paychecks away in the competition coon hunting world. Yeah. So let me let me hold ask on. you about like the hold on. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. Chris. I'm an idiot. So I've got like a bunch of really basic questions to ask. I'm going to hold off on some of those. But what? This is an idiot question. What is a coon hunting competition? Like, do you just go out at night and say you've got three hours, go kill as many as you can or tree them or what? Mm-hmm. I, what I, I, no, there, there actually, there's actually a whole point system set up. It's, it's, um, for the, for the, for the uninitiated, it's like watching a hockey game. It's fun to watch, but if you don't know the rules, you really don't know what's going on. You know, I don't know what icing is and I don't know what I, I get the high sticking deal, but I'm not, I'm not a hockey guru. And so it's kind of the same deal. You know, if I talk to you about strike points, tree points, circle points, you know, keeping a strike open, you know, things like that, I could lose you in the terminology. But basically what it is, Andrew, is is, is there's there are three major coonhound registries that sanction what is called a night hunt. And that's Professional Kennel Club, PKC, United Kennel Club, UKC, and an organization called Pro Sport. So each one of these organizations will announce they've got a schedule of events, and a lot of them are pre-entry. Uh, so you pay your pre-entry, and you go to the the location, and you enter your dog, and then you draw out with, with three other hounds, and it's called a cast. And there are several other casts that night that are going to go out and compete as well. And so your dog is going to be scored, according to when they locate a track and they, they bark. Okay. That's called a strike. And so strike points are, are graduated point systems, 175, 50 and 25 in descending order. So if my dog goes out, it barks, 
I strike my dog. If I'm first, I get a hundred points that go on the card. When it when it locates the raccoon in a tree and it barks treed, I call it treed. And if it's got the raccoon, then it's another hundred points. So, you know, and you just accumulate points as you go. You never kill the raccoon. Um, and then everything is based on that point. If they don't have the raccoon, then you get a minus. If they've got a raccoon, then it becomes a plus point. And then you just, you scored, you know, plus points against minus points. And, and then you get cast placements and things like that, according to points. Sounds like, uh, yeah, I, uh, the hockey analogy, I get that. So (laughs) (laughs) icing callback. So I want to, I want to ask a question about the 400,000 dog. So a dog that's that good and that successful, is that a testament to the to the dog itself or is that a testament to the trainer? Because I could take that dog. I know nothing about coon hunting, nothing about training a dog, and it would be fat and lazy and would not be I mean, so that's that's like a that's a package, right? I mean, can a coon hunt can a coon dog trainer take any dog and make him into a you know a four hundred thousand dog? The no. The the ad the the, the old adage is 90% of training is done in the breeding pen, which means genetics. You know, you've got, you've got these genetics that have lined up that have made this dog, uh, a phenomenal candidate, you know, he's got potential. And then the, the hunter or the trainer comes in and they, they just polish this diamond in a rough and some guys are better at it than others. And, and, uh, then, you, you know, it's, but 90% of what a dog's going to be, uh, a lot of times I'm just a taxi cab back and forth to the woods. You know, if you get that right one and it's, yeah. it's good, you know, you're just, you're just a taxi service. You're just giving it opportunity to do its thing. Those are the great ones. You know, so. you can, you can take a mediocre dog and put some polish on it and make it a good dog. But, but the great ones are born, not made. So if you've got the $400,000 dog and it's a genetic thing, does that mean that dog will be bred down the road and just continue to make more money? Like, oh yeah, yeah, Paul, we yeah, might need to go find a dog. I I draw the yeah, <laughs> I draw Curry the dog. <laughs> I draw the conclusion or the parallel. What we're seeing in the competition coon hunting world now is uh, going right along the lines of horse racing. You know, it's been there for years. It's kind of been on the sidelines, but now it's really starting to get some legs and some wheels under it and uh, big purses. You know, we're talking about giving away pickup trucks and, and, you know, the whole nine yards. So bass fishing, uh, competitions, horse racing, you know, this is, this is going the same route. Mm. Is that, is that good for the, for the, for the coon dog hunter is that good for the houndsman is it good for the dog or is that just just kind of the, it's it's managed well because there's some nefarious people in the in the horse racing world you hear sure. these horror stories and there's nefarious people in the walleye circuit i mean just recently here in ohio yeah. or uh you know we had guys stuffing you guys know that guy? pounds. no we don't <laughs> yeah stuffing eight pounds of lead weights into walleye so i mean when you involve money and people bad things inevitably happens so i mean is that good for for the for the for the sport for the activity that that you love you know if you if you go across the the community and you would poll the the hound hunting community that you would get mixed reviews on that um in my opinion the 
exposure is very good. You know, there's a lot of things like like one of the largest hunts in the country for a long time was the St. Jude's hunt down in Parsons, Tennessee. Um, over the years, houndsmen have raised, you know, millions of dollars for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. The problem is um, the, the, the machine isn't keeping up with the culture. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're not doing a good job of publicizing. We never have done a good job of publicizing what we do. Um, we just, some of the rules need to be, are, they're constantly changing. But you look at horse racing and, you know, you win the Kentucky Derby. When that when that horse comes off the track, it's getting blood drawn to make sure that that it's not doped up, you know. Are we going to get there with hounds? I don't know. I think I think we, you know, there's a good possibility and maybe a a, a need for it. But um, you know, as far as nefarious goes, it, like you said, it doesn't matter what you do um, when you start competing. It doesn't matter if you're competing for a trophy, you know, a five dollar trophy. Ego kicks in and and makes people do things that that they wouldn't normally do. And we've we actually interviewed a guy that uh, was stripped of his world championship because of um, uh, he he had cheated. And it's a great story and uh, one of of humility. And also, if when you listen to it, you know you can see that he has done a lot of personal growth from that. He grew personally from that. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's we're not, let's, immu- we're not immune. Yeah. No, no, no one is. And it's, I mean, it's, I think it's like you said, personal growth comes out of it and just acknowledging that there's, that there is the potential for something. And, and it's a good and thing I, when it does, you know, yeah. when, when, when people do take a step back and, and take the opportunity to, to self-reflect and think, man, I was an idiot, you know, yeah. that then it's good. And I'm not sure I, I I'm I'm not going to take credit for the statement. Someone smarter than me said it, but you know the 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 idea like sportsmen and hunters specifically are some of the most honest people out there because we follow rules that are written in a book that in the and when we're a hundred miles away from the nearest person, you know we follow those mm-hmm. rules and there's literally nobody watching. We know that we could poach that coon or poach that deer or turkey, whatever it is, and we don't. Even though there's no chance that we could get caught, we don't because that's the right thing to do. So I think, you know, hunters, I think just, a, just I mean, the, the the poachers, the people that do the wrong thing, it's just a small, small, small you know, percentage of of who we are as uh, a culture. And, I, and that's that's good. That's good to hear. Are you uh, asking you me know, that? So. Or you want me to comment on that as a uh, former game warden or do you want me to? Yeah, abs- no, Absolutely. <laughs> No, I'm sure you've seen some crazy stuff. I absolutely, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you know, and and you're working every day, every person you come across, um, you have to be, you have, if you're, if you're not looking for the, the thing that's going wrong, then, then you're probably not very good at your job. You know, you need to find some other job. If you're just out there to help people, then be a fireman, you know? Um, so, but no, I agree with you. I was just making a, a wise crack there, you know, no, cause I'm, I have seen a lot of, 
over the years, over 30 years, you know, with 30 years in the, the business, I've seen the, be- the worst side and that can jake oh, you. God. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can imagine, you know, so I, I, I want to talk about, and, and you mentioned it briefly, just the, the culture around, you know, being a houndsman. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the, one of the interesting, you know, it's, it's a, it's very much an identity for, for people. I mean, as hunters, we all identify as, you know, I'm a hunter, you know, it's, it's something that really shapes who we are is, is individuals. And I think with houndsmen, this is outside looking in is, is, is a houndsman. It takes it up a level with that identity and, and who you are, because I, I feel like to be successful with that, like you're either all in or you're not in, you know, like it just has to be, you know, who, who you are and you care deeply about it. So, so talk about like the, the culture around, you know, hunting and hound hunting and, and just the people and the animals and just, you know, what, what makes you guys tick? Mm. That's a damn good question, Chris. It really is. It really is. It's making me think how I would. So I would say this houndsmen are salt of the earth people. I've seen houndsmen rise up to uh, raise money for, for other houndsmen whose kids were diagnosed with cancer. Um, I did a podcast with uh, a guy down in South Carolina, or I'm sorry, yeah, South Carolina, and uh, his son suffers from severe autism, and they they run a food truck around to all of the, uh, or to, to coonhound events, and it's called Drake's Hope. And I watch coon hunters and houndsmen line up at that thing because they know where that money's going They're, They don't, they could go into town and, and get a cheeseburger or whatever, but they're going to eat some of the best barbecue they ever tasted And the, and, and they're also going to support a fellow houndsman's kid. Um, I I've seen houndsmen, um, put themselves out to host freedom hunters events where we take veterans on on outdoor adventures you know great sacrifice to themselves um and and going all out to make sure that these veterans america's warriors come back and uh uh they can they can experience something like this um it's not all it's we don't all wear white hats and we don't you know we're not we're not perfect um you know, one of the one of the things when you talk about the culture of houndsmen, I think you have to look and discuss uh, the reputation of houndsmen and maybe the misunderstanding around houndsmen. For one thing, we're out there. You know, when we're talking about uh, coon hunting, we're out there in the dark, and most people think, "Why in the world would anybody be out there in the dark?" And if you're out there in the dark, then you're probably up to no good. And uh, but but a lot of that is. Uh, houndsmen have allowed, we've allowed ourselves to lose control of the narrative on, and I think the hunting community in general has, we've lost control of the narrative where, uh, we let other people define who we are and what we do. And, um, if, if you, you spent time with houndsmen, I'll give you an example. Uh, Brad Luttrell with go wild, just released a podcast. We took him bear hunting, uh, and and he got to experience houndsman hound hunting and bear hunting firsthand and in his podcast he made this statement that these guys are self-regulating 
you know, they, they like our group of hunters, we've got rules on what bears we're going to take and what bears we won't take. You know, we have just like an, uh, an antler restriction that you may put on your hunting lease. You know, we're not going to shoot anything under 130 inches or hundred. We're doing the same thing. You know, we're choosing mature boars, 200 pounds and up, uh, because we're conscientious and we know that sows, you know, your female bears are the ones that are going to make you, are going to produce your bears for you. So the, the law only says they have to be a hundred pounds, but, but I watch houndsmen go above that and say, we won't take anything under 200. And, uh, we don't, we don't kill a lot of bears. You know, we've always, we, we've got people like Brad Luttrell that want to come in that, that want to shoot a bear. It's, it, I've shot one mountain lion in my entire life and it was in 1993 in Hamilton, Montana. I've walked to a hundred mountain lion trees over the years. And a lot of, for us is the hound work. It's not about who's killing the bear or, or anything like that. My, what trips my trigger is I started this dog. That's at that, that's got that raccoon or that bear or that lion treat. I brought him home in my lap and now he's doing this and that's what makes us tick. You yeah. know, he said, I've got one, one dog here. I, we brought home. It was 10 below zero. She spent two weeks in the house, you know, uh, growing up, you know, just growing up in our, I've got pictures ever laying on my couch, you know? Uh, so it, it, it does become a, a relationship and, and something. So that, that's, that's kind of the culture. Yeah. So you talked just real briefly about kind of the perception of, of, of houndsmen and you've lost the narrative. Uh, obviously like, you know, anti hunters, we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that, that always kind of frustrates me is the, just within the hunting community. So, and and I use that as a broad, a big tent, right? Big tent hunting community, all of us, uh, houndsmen are definitely in the corner and there's a huge section of hunters that just hate on you guys constantly for, for whatever reason. <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure you hear it all the time. Oh yeah. And I, I saw just, just recently there was a, a really big personality a couple of years ago. So I guess that's not recently, but um, was on a, one of a mountain lion hunt and shoots this mountain lion and this thing falls out of the tree and you know, it, the dogs were going crazy. I, I'm sitting there watching like, damn, that's, that is freaking cool. And the comments were just like, how dare you? And these are hunters. Like these are people with dead deer in their profile right. pictures and they're just shitting on this guy. And it's just like, right. and, and so I think it's, it's very much, I feel like it's a perception. It's a, it's a misunderstanding, you know, and it's something that I don't do. So you're wrong. And that's very much, that's a, that's a big like society problem. But so is, is houndsman, what, what do you guys do to kind of combat like the inter hunting hate that you get from 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 these people they're still killing animals but they just don't do it with dogs and you know what like what do, what do you guys do say to that we invite them to go hunting oh yeah chris you should chris you should never kill a bear with a dog how dare you <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> you shouldn't kill on. mountain lions with dogs chris how dare you right yeah come on yeah there you go yeah, <laughs> yeah. come on come on paul yeah we'll, we'll oh, go right, yeah, yeah you talk me into it um but that's i think um, if you, if you argue, argue with a fool, it's like wrestling with a pig, you both get dirty and the pig likes it. So th they're trying to, they're trying to invoke a response from me 
to argue with them. They're, they're, they're talking about something that they have no experience with. They have very limited information. So really, what am I going to justify? What am I going to accomplish by, uh, you know, trying to prove my point to that person? They're never going to see my point. So for me, I, I invite people to go and, um, you know, I would invite them to listen to, you know, Brad Luttrell's podcast uncensored and, and listen to his experience. But, uh, we've got to find ways to bridge the gap in this hunting community. Um, you know, we've got, we've got people that do all sorts of hunting. And when we all start focusing on our own little niche in the hunting community, and and becoming these elitists and and making this this statement that you know well, I you know you're a deer hunter but I shoot a trad bow you know you you deer hunt but I I shoot a flintlock uh, oh you're a, you know I do it this way I do it that way I'm a houndsman you're it's all tribalism and it's all driving our own ego when the people that want to take our freedoms away have one target they've got one thing one focal point. And that's to stop us from what we're doing. So, um, houndsmen have been, have been, uh, you know, kind of thrown up for the sacrificial lamb by other hunting groups over the years. And, um, uh, yeah, we can let them have that, you know, take the heat off of us, but that's, you're not going to satisfy those people. They're still going to come after you when we're done. They're coming after you. Yeah. And that's, and that's it, man. You're never going to please anyone. There's always going to be someone that hates on you. And I like one of my, I freaking love fall turkey hunting. And you yeah. talk to a lot of, a lot of turkey hunters that spring turkey hunt. And they think that fall turkey hunting is the absolute worst thing. And right. I mean, they just, they hate it. It should be outlawed in, in every state with a turkey in it. And, and God forbid you use a dog to fall turkey hunt, um, which I, I, I got to experience that for the first time uh, just a few months ago here, here in Ohio, a really good friend of mine just met him through through work brett barry houndsman just a phenomenal fall turkey hunter and just a a really good guy invited me to come up and and experience it and so normally with turkey hunting like my heart starts pounding when i hear the turkey and then it kind of stops and then you know i see him and it starts pounding the moment that dog started barking my heart started pounding and it didn't stop until i realized that there weren't any turkeys coming but i mean it was it was an unbelievable experience and my, my favorite part of the whole the whole day um, the dog would, would kind of run out a couple hundred yards and would come back and check on Brett. Hey man, where are we at? We good? Everything. All right. You, you know, and it would just go back out and just, it would come back, you know, and, and just check in every couple of minutes just to see what was going on. If he need, you know, and it was just, it was, it was amazing watching Brett and his dog, Josie and how they worked together and how they communicated with just out saying anything, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and as an outsider, I just really, I really enjoyed that. And I, I texted my wife about three or four hours into it. I'm like, I'm getting a dog. Like, that's it. This is all I needed. This is, <laughs> is pushed me over the, over the edge watching that and just getting to experience seeing her busting up some flocks. And, you know, like I said, I didn't get to kill a turkey that day, but just seeing it all happen was really, was really neat, man. And I, and, and I enjoyed that experience. And, but when I told some of my fall or my spring turkey hunter friends what I was doing, they're just like, that's, I can't believe that you would do that. I, how, how dare you? <laughs> and it's just, I you know, I, and it's funny. I, 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 I work with turkeys all every day. You know, I bring them the data and the science behind like why it's, you know, not as bad as you think it is like actual hard numbers. And, and people just, they choose not to, to see it. It's a very, 
And we all deal with this. Hunter, it's an emotional response. It's paradigm you know? paralysis. Yes. Have you ever heard that term? I have not. That's the first time. That's exactly. Please enlighten all of us on this. Yeah. Paradigm yeah. paralysis. So Thomas Kuhn, who was actually a professor at the University of Cincinnati uh, with theology, he, he taught uh, uh, theories of scientific something. But he came up, he, he found that when scientists were, had already decided on an outcome, they would not change their opinion, even when shown overwhelming, overwhelming evidence that they were wrong. And so he coined the term paradigm paralysis. They're stuck in their paradigm, no matter they've already got the end result, what they think should happen. And you can show them all the evidence in the world. And then they just are paralyzed in their own paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can't fight with people like that. Nope. It's no, a, it's, it's, like, it's a, it's, it's a waste of time. And all it does is, is, is make you mad and you end up hating someone that you might be friends with, you know, we've, we've got to find, go ahead, Andrew. I'm sorry. I was, it's, I it's the same idea listening to all this. Um, but like when you've got a, uh, a person that's anti hunting, but they you know, love to have a big Mac or go buy a steak from the, the, you know, the, yeah. the grocery store to me, it's like, you can't really do both. Like you, it just yeah to me as hunting and I, I i'm hearing everything you're saying and i'm thinking about the people that are anti-crossbow and all this other stuff uh more in the deer world but like it, i don't get it to me i just i just don't understand we it, it's just got to be you got to take all your tribes and work together to fight the bigger problem yeah so you know i i i spend a lot of time when i'm on the road thinking about how to talk about hunting and why we talk about hunting and, and how to talk about it in a way that represents our lifestyle, you know, for all of us, not just houndsmen, but for all of us, but hunters get to interact with wildlife on a level that your average person, there's only, there's only four and a half percent of the human pop or the U S population that's hunting now. So that's a very small number of people. That number might be a little bit low, but but there's very small number of, uh, of people that, that can interact with wildlife like we do. You know, I walked into a bear tree last week. The black bear was eight feet up in a tree. He was sitting there and he was looking at me. We locked eyes. I saw his face. I read his body expressions. He saw mine. We, we had, we exchanged, we had an exchange there, you know, that bear came down the tree and, and he's still alive on, on the mountain. Um, but, but humans have always been a part of this plan, you know, uh, from this time of cavemen and predators and all this stuff, there's just a few of us that still have the courage to interact on a level, to put food on our table and, and be a part of the process. I've got more respect for the person who goes out and does it and then says, Hey man, that wasn't for me. Then the person that sits back from their pedestal and cast, you know, judgment down upon all of us, you know, they don't even, you, you, I don't even talk to you. You have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. You never. you, you once people are at that, that point, you, you, I mean, you're never going to change them. You know, you're going to have those, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're militant about about their mm -hmm. beliefs, and and quite honestly, I think we're militant about our beliefs. You know, right? And, we, and yeah, and, we have. Yeah, I agree. And we're. I think that 
that hunters were willing to to listen and 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 make decisions without you know pure emotion if if someone told you like turkey hunting you know the state uh here in ohio said hey we have we have a population issue we need to we need to reduce the limits to one turkey uh, mm-hmm. in the spring and here's why it's and and there wasn't a we talked to the biologist there wasn't a single complaint from anyone in the state and right because we understand and we're willing to lose that hopefully temporarily to 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 create long-term success you know for for these animals that we care so deeply about so that's i think 100 yeah i and someone that's locked into the anti-hunting they they it's they, they don't understand any of that that hunting is conservation conservation is hunting you can't have one without the other you know and they, they go they're so intertwined mm-hmm. with the systems that we have so that's really neat to you guys say that but well, so let's let's Chris, go ahead months I, I just curious i'm playing devil's advocate um you know there i think there's a certain demographic out there that will say you know the hunting is is fine if you're eating it and that kind of stuff but and this is ignorance again like when you go out and shoot coons or coyotes or another one like i don't know a whole lot of people that are eating coons and coyotes uh mm-hmm. what kind of not answer but just i mean where where does that discussion go i mean obviously there is the the caveman the predator prey you know population control to a certain degree but coyotes are just everywhere there's coons everywhere and no matter right. you know and i i guess ignorantly again it are do you guys like sell your coon furs or or what are you guys doing with that i'm sorry paul we I'm just used totally to derailing all this but we we used to but but the fur market is dead you know it's it's been stripped by the the animal extremists you know that for some reason you know um the same people that 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 will wave the banner of animal rights will also talk about the green new deal and they're all about wearing petroleum based fake fur and the process that takes tons of energy and fuel to make the fake fur but they won't wear a renewable resource like fur how much how much sense does that make you know yeah you know we'll we'll spend we'll spend a hundred or a thousand gallons of petroleum based fuel to make a synthetic fur to transport it to ship it to get it to your store to keep the lights on at the store for you to drive your car to the store to get it home but it's a paradigm paralysis absolutely <laughs> you know it doesn't fit their narrative so therefore the fur is not a renewable resource but getting back to your 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 question andrew about Everything is part of the bigger picture, ecological picture. You know, uh, a possum's got to eat. The 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 hawk the the that's going to feed on the carrion has got to thrive on something. Um, not everything. I I don't buy into everything we shoot has to be food. It. You know, it it just doesn't. At at some point, you've got to step in. We have done such a great job of screwing up the 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 original management plan on our landscape that if we don't step in and manage this resource, the other side of it is very ugly. I guarantee you, there's there's people's dogs and cats being eaten in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, right now by a coyote. You know. And they'll cry about that, but then they'll also see a coyote hunter on the other side 
you know, oh my gosh, he's chasing this coyote down with a hound. Well, yesterday that same coyote was chasing your lap dog down and eating it in front of you, you know? So that's how, that's how I look at that. That's how I, that's how I address that. That's one of the, that's one of the things that I use quite a bit when I, when I encounter a, a, an anti-hunter or even a non-hunter is we have, we have manipulated and destroyed the ecosystems to the point that we have to, to help regulate yes. populations. And yeah. if, if we don't, like you said, the alternative is, is essentially a, a, an inevitable collapse of those systems completely with you know, the wildlife. So, and that's something that people refuse to hear and they, they refuse to accept. Uh, you want to change it. We'll stop urban sprawl, stop building warehouses, stop, you know, pollution, stop using water, stop farming. <laughs> it's like, none of that is going to happen. Right. You know? So, right. Um, so let's, let's, let's dive in. And I've, I've listened to you talk quite a bit, uh, about the threats to, to hunting and you're very, you know, very passionate about that and, and, and you communicate that really well. So I'm, I'm excited for our listeners to hear kind of your stance. Uh, so if, if we took once again, big tent, all the hunters are in it. If we put a target on the back of all of those people in, in the, in, in the hunting community, houndsmen and coon dog hunters, you guys would probably have the biggest target and there are most, there are more people and I'm talking, not talking about hunters. Now I'm talking about anti-hunters. You guys are, I would say target number one, man. And because you've got the dogs and people disagree with, with that. And and then, and then you're killing things with those dogs. So you, you are probably more primed to talk about this than anyone in the country. So my friend, please, the stage is yours. Let's talk about anti-hunters uh, within the hound houndsman circle yeah um so i think i think you nailed it i would i would even argue that that maybe trappers are if if they're not a bigger target they're right there with us um you know trapping with the the collapse of the fur market has pretty much um you know it's it's pretty much taking care of itself you know um there aren't many, there aren't many people out there stringing, stringing steel these days, only for management purposes. Um, and a lot of that comes from, from whitetail leases and, and bigger management pro- properties. But, um, I think, I think the thing that, that if I was going to tell your audience, anything is we can't afford to give up any more ground, zero the day for compromise is over. You know, we have, we have backed up as far as we can back up and we've got to start building these relationships where houndsmen show up when there is a deer management issue. Um, deer hunters show up when there is a hound hunting, a threat to, you know, a guy turning a hound loose to chase a rabbit or a raccoon or whatever it is. Um, we've got to find ways to bridge those gaps in this community. If we're going to, if we're going to survive as a community as a whole, um, I, I think about a lot of analogies sometimes, or I spend a lot of my time thinking about analogies and I was in the Marine Corps and, and Marines are notorious. If they haven't got anybody to fight, they'll fight with each other. And, uh, you know, we pick on, I was in the infantry we're going to we're going to make fun of the guys that are in motor transport cuz they get a ride everywhere. We're going to make fun of the guys and the guys in the air wing are going to 
make guys fun of the guys in supply and the guys in supply are going to make fun of the tankers. And, you know, it's just, it's one big family. We all do it. But at the end of the day, punch a Marine in the mouth and see what happens. You know, you're going to have a bunch of them on you real quick. You know, that's just the way it goes. Um, and I think as a hunting community, we have to recognize that, that we have to find those common ground. We don't have to agree with everything. My, my audience of houndsmen is just as frustrated with deer hunters and leasing and things like that as your audience may be about, you know, a coon hunter that they capture on a trail camera, you know, on their, on their cell phone camera. But at the end of the day, we've got to find ways to respect one another, ways to support one another and, and stop using social media to air your, your grievances. All you're doing is loading the gun and handing it to the enemy at that point. You know, they are going to take, they watch everything. These, these anti-hunting organizations have millions of dollars. You take a, you take a, uh, an organization like the center of biological diversity, uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, maybe Tucson, Arizona, I think their annual budget in 2016 was $14 million. That's one, that's one organization. You put the Humane Society of the United States. I've been by the, the, the PETA building that sits on the, on the, on the shores of, at Norfolk overlooking the, the bay there. It's a, it's a multi-million dollar building for PETA, uh, World Wildlife Fund, all these different organizations. They have got deep pockets and we cannot match them dollar for dollar. We just simply can't. So we've got to find other ways. The, the good news is we have, we are finding success in different, different initiatives. We, we had a great year as a hunting community last year. Uh, Senate bill 32, I believe was introduced in the state of Colorado to ban lion hunting, bobcat hunting and lynx hunting. Okay. So why do we throw lynx? You can't hunt lynx in the United States anyway. Okay. That was just, that was just fluff. They added on to it, but what we saw under that threat was ranchers, hunters, everybody coming together. And that was defeated in committee. Same thing happened in Arizona. They tried to, uh, to push through an, an, an initiative or a rule proposal to, to ban mountain lion hunting, bear hunting, and maybe bobcats there too. That was quashed because hunters rose up and said enough's enough. And we've got to continue to do that. And we've got to continue to find ways to support one another. I don't care if a guy's got an, a, you know, he wants to hunt field mice, you know, we need to support him. You know, we got to find ways to support those people as long as they're doing it ethically. If, if you're doing it ethically, uh, then, then we have to support each other. Yeah. You know, I, I think just to, to touch on you know what you said about social media i feel like with hunters we're we're our own best friend and we're also our own worst enemy and you know social media has amplified that to a level that i don't think any of us can control at this point and and i i, 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 I could i couldn't agree more that man you got there are 300 there are 300 million people on facebook 
That's insane. I am not one of them. I will say that. Yeah. And, yep. and, and it's just, it, it, it's got to stop. You know, it really does, man. And, and, and your, your analogy with, you know, with the Marine Corps, you punch one of them in the face, you're going to get 10 of them jumping over the bar, you know, coming yeah. after you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how it needs to be with hunters. And, you know, I've had some conversations with some listeners to, of, of this show that, that they don't necessarily agree with, with kind of the sensationalism that, that people are coming after the hunting because it does, it hasn't affected them personally. It hasn't affected mm-hmm. what they care for. And I can tell you, and you can speak on this humane society center for biological diversity, uh, you know, PETA, uh, what is the other one? ASPCA, WWA, ASPCA. Aud- yeah. Yeah. Audubon say all of them, the main, like the, the number one is no hunting, no trapping, right. none of it in any, anything. It doesn't matter. Deer. Bear, That's their end game. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you think that it's, yeah. And if you think that it's something else other than a total, like a zero, zero hunting, zero trapping, you're naive. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, those, those organizations will not stop until, until they get to that point. So let me, let me ask you this, this question. So, you know, if you live in, and I'll get to my point here in a second, but if you live in a, community that has a homeowners association and uh say it's a uh early archery season type deal and um you bring a deer home and you hang it in your garage what happens when the neighbors call the police or wow. calls the homeowner association you know the same the, my point is we 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 sit back and we say oh they'll never they'll never take hunting away well you can look back there was a there was a documentary well let's just go back to to bambi in the 1950s there was a huge dive in the number of hunting licenses that were sold the year after bambi came out and i don't have the numbers i'm not going to try to make them up but it was huge and then you move into the 1970s with the winds of november a documentary that was aired on, I believe it was CBS. Man, again, we saw we saw numbers drop. So the the animal rights organizations are so smart. They're full of advertisers, or I'm sorry, attorneys and marketing people, and and they've got a. a They've got deep pockets and they're well orchestrated. They've all read Sun Tzu. They know the art of war. They know how to fight this fight. So in the case of hound hunting, and it's the same for for what you're talking, or, you know, any type of hunting, it could be a bird hunter. They're not going to come out and say, they can't come out to your typical Ohio voter and say, uh, convince them that, that, you know, raccoons need to be protected. Because your aunt's got them living under the eaves of her house. The farmer down the road's got them eating his crops. You know, they got, they're carrying disease from the, the garbage cans in the suburbs. They're everywhere. They're, so they know they can't, they can't convince people of that. So what they do is they come after leg hold traps. They come after, you know, how, you know, how many hounds I can keep at my house. How are they going to tax my hounds? Do I have vaccination records on my hounds? Do they need to be brought in when it's below a certain temperature? Do they need to be brought in when it's above a certain temperature? They're attacking this at the local level. 
You know, how many municipalities in Ohio is it illegal to shoot a bow inside the city limits, but you've got deer standing in people's front yards eating thousands of dollars worth of landscaping, but nobody can hunt them because there's a city ordinance because somebody decided that 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 was all the movement of the animal extremists to make sure that we cannot hunt. Chris, no. who who's funding these groups? Because you're talking a lot of money. I'm just yep. where where's fourteen million dollars in an annual budget come from? And that's you know, being one group. You know, Brian Dowler with with uh the Sportsman's Alliance. Uh I had him on a couple weeks ago and we had this discussion. Uh groups like Center for Biological Diversity, ASPCA, HHUS, they aren't afraid to spend a lot of money to capture a little bit of money. And that sounds like a poor business model. But what I'm saying is they'll spend $100 to get some person who's sitting there and they're, you know, looking at sad puppy dogs on a commercial and, uh, you know, a one minute commercial that we've all seen, you know, for $4 a month. With you Sarah know, Susan, yep, I know. Yeah, I know the Susan song. Sarandon to sit there and say you can help these poor dogs, and they take all that money that they collect over this wide base, and they put it in war chests, and 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 that's how they're they're getting it from from my aunt, they're getting it from your sister, you know, I don't know, you know, all those yeah. people that that aren't informed that think that they're actually doing a great thing, you know, who doesn't yeah. want to help dogs and cats, you know, I. Well, dogs anyway. Um, uh, but but who do, who? The reason I've got dogs is because I love dogs, you right, know. And I, right. I go to great great extents to make sure. I guarantee you my dogs are better cared for than you know some Susan fat lab dying of obesity and and coronary artery disease yeah. and eating Twinkies in the that's never seen a duck. Yeah, you know I think I think those all of those organizations. One thing that 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 they do they are experts at, at taking the emotional high ground from us mm-hmm. and they play to those emotions that people have. It's the storybook critters. It's the, the nursery rhyme animals. And they take that and, and they, like you said, Bambi and, and then, you know, the winds of November and, and they create this mentality or this, this kind of this subconscious hate or distaste, you know, amongst non hunters, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's easy to convert a non hunter and, and to anti to an anti hunter. And I think the, the one thing that, that everyone listening to this, like that, that conversion can also, it, it can happen quicker with a hunter getting involved the wrong way, you know? And I think that's, I think that's important to, to note. And, and, and you've talked about that quite a bit, man. And, and man, what a talk. What a talk. Can we cover one more thing before before we close it up? Is it your fat lab? No. He's lost he's a lot of weight. Um, <laughs> he has. He's doing great. The, uh, he looks great. The uh, New Jersey. That dog ain't ever seen a duck, Chris. No. <laughs> no, but he, he did get a chicken one day. Um, but we, uh, let's see, New Jersey. So you talked about some victories and stuff from the past year. I don't know if that's a victory or not. Um, I don't trust any politicians more than i trust the water in mexico and you know and i dare use the term science anymore like that's kind of you know no kidding ambiguous or whatever but like they had a bear population problem in new jersey right and Mm -hmm. i'm this is a little bit that i know of it 
they reinstated a season that they had removed what two years ago, something like that. And then at the last second, it like got put on hold and they stopped the season and then it got reversed again and they opened it up, but they didn't hit their quota. Where does that stand? And this is just kind of intriguing to me because we don't we don't have a bear season in Ohio. So anytime you're talking about that, it's it's a whole nother critter. But. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure what the current state is for the bear season in New Jersey, but but you had the facts, right? The governor. listen to the wildlife experts and the people in the state of New Jersey and reinstated a bear season. And he did that, uh, probably two months before the season was supposed to start December 5th. And, um, the HSUS waited until December. Let me do some math. December 2nd to file for a stay. And they, they did it through federal court. With the full knowledge, this is what I'm talking about, being strategic. and They've read Sun Tzu. They know what they're doing. And so they knew that there was no way that that anybody could jump through the legal hoops fast enough to have that season open on December 5th. Um, Part of that was was December 2nd was a Friday, I think, right? And then the 5th was was Monday. Is that right? Or close to that? That is, yes. Okay. So it was December 1st is when the stay was issued. The state had until 4.30 on the 2nd to to put in their opinions and, and make their case. And then HSUS had all weekend until December 5th. To fi- by four thirty to file their motions, and and after what the the dust was all settled, the judge overturned it and said, "It's a you know the governor acted within his executive authority, and there's a bear season." Yep. So that was a a plus in the right direction, I guess. Yes, for yeah. the short term, and yeah, and without getting political, I th- I thought it was very interesting that. Um, the the governor of New Jersey is from a party that is normally known as people who want to stop hunting. So, yeah, yep. but they got a so Chris they have a what population are, problem over there, right? Yeah, they their their black bear populations just been going unchecked for the last two years, and black bear populations across the eastern United States are at all time are an, are at an all time high. Um, so, you know, even, even with my bear hunting friends, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we don't shoot sows cause we want, we want to protect the population. It's like, okay, guys, here's the deal. If we don't step in and manage it ourselves, then they're going to manage, you know, the, the wildlife managers are going to manage it for us. The government's going to manage it for us. So taking a, taking a sow here and there isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, that. That's that's part of the management plan. You you do have yeah. to trust some, the experts on that. Yeah, for sure. So before we go too far, I just wanna I just wanna throw that up there, uh, sitting on my shelf behind me, the art of war. Read you it, bet. guys. You're listening to it, man. This is this is a classic. So yes, it what, is. What what are some of the organizations out there that are just doing doing good work to protect the rights of big tent hunters? What who 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 out there do you really like uh, the work that they're doing? You know, um, my number one is Sportsman's Alliance. 
You know, when you look at that organization, they, they've been around a long time. They've got the infrastructure. They've got everything. Um, they know how to play this game and they've got a good track record um, of being successful. Uh, Todd Adkins over there in their government affairs um, is a sharp guy. Uh, you've got uh, Brian Lynn, who is who is doing the editor work and everything on their publications and 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 writing their Facebook posts. If it's going on, they know about it. Uh, they've got a grassroots effort across the United States. I would I would encourage if you've got an archery club. Uh, if you're, if you've got a, you know, a, a, a hound hunting club, a raccoon, a coon hunting club, whatever it is, you know, spend that 250 bucks and join as a club, you know, support that organization. I think, I think that's, that's a really good one. I think, uh, you know, any of the, any of the, the, we need to be involved with a lot of different organizations. We need to support the wild sheep foundation. We need to support Rocky mountain elk foundation. Um, you know, but for me, for, for me, my first, my first, if I was going to budget myself and I had to join one organization right now to protect hunting, it would be the sportsman's Alliance. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been a member of that organization for, for quite a few years. They're based here in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and they, they are sharp. The only criticism that I would have about Sportsman's Alliance is some of their posts that I read. I'm like, I need a freaking law book to break some of those down. And I'm just like, I dumb it down, man. Tell me what's going on. Like I'm a child because that's what I am. So put, put this into idiot. So tell, tell Brian Lynn to, to start yeah. writing posts. Like uh, what's that one? Fit? They, I don't even know how to pronounce it. What's that thing that they, they filed up in Alaska, an omnibus, what is that? And I I know what you're talking about. I don't know. No I know. Idea. I looked yeah. at it. It's like, well, that's cool. What is it? You yeah. Know? A lot of their posts. I had to Google, are real, yeah. I had to use a Googler to find out what it was. Yeah. They're so well written. There's a lot of information and some of it. I'm like, okay, you just dropped some legal terms. I have no idea what you're talking about, but yeah. here's my money. Keep doing what you're doing. So, right. <laughs> but right. I, I, I appreciate that organization for sure. So Chris, man, I've really appreciated this, this talk. I I've, I've, I've learned a ton. Uh, you know, I, I hope that, that, uh, that, that you can come on and, and, uh, again, and teach us how to, how to be houndsmen, especially me, Turkey dog that is in my future. I can feel it coming. I'm whittling my wife down. <laughs> I think I'm almost there. I wanted to, you know, I've been reading a ton of books and talking to people about training Turkey dogs and just training dogs in general. And I think I'm close. I'm not going to, I, I want to know that I'm ready to dive into that, you know, right. and, and maybe we can have that conversation again, but where, where can our listeners find you on social media and, uh, and, and the name of your podcast and where they can, they can consume that content. Yeah. So, uh, my podcast is the houndsman XP podcast. It's just houndsman XP podcast. We're on all the social media, our websites, houndsmanxp.com. Um, you know, we talk about all kinds of hound stuff. We're, we're, we're talking about, you know, hunting jackrabbits with, with greyhounds and falcons, you know, we're talking about blood trailing dog, blood tracking dogs, which is a big thing in the deer hunting community. We just released a couple podcasts about what you need to do. If, if you're a deer hunter and you shoot a deer, start getting deer hunters in this mindset that 
instead of just running out there, you know, kind of a mental checklist that you need to be going through. If you have any inclination of calling a, a, a tracking dog to come in, you know, it's, it's like police canine preserving the scene, you know? So we've, we've had, we've talked a lot about that. We talk about olfactory. We talk about things that are going to help if you're a bird hunter, um, you know, how dog's nose works, um, you know, health and care and all that stuff. But that's, that's what we do. And uh, the main goal is to, uh, you know, really bridge the gaps in the hunting community and make hound hunting more mainstream, not some sort of an anomaly freakish thing that nobody understands. We want to talk about it and we want to, we want to help other hunters understand what we do. Yeah. Good. Anytime, man, whatever we can do to, to help, I, I appreciate all the work that you do and everyone in, 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 in your community, man, we're, we're in your corner. I am fascinated by it. I'm a fan. I love watching the dogs. Thank work. you. And if you haven't done it and you're listening to this and you made it all the way through, find someone to take you out and hunt, man. I mean, it is so much fun and it just, it, it, it's a new world. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed my, my time, uh, you know, walking behind the dog. So, Chris, good luck to you, man, in this in this new year here in a few days. Uh, you know, whatever hunting you got left. You got any good trips planned coming up or are you guys kind of winding down? We got a lot we got a lot of stuff going on in January, February. Um, you know, travel schedules and hunting trips and and different yeah. things. So yeah, we got a lot going on. I really appreciate you guys asking me to be on the on the podcast with you. You guys are you guys have a great show and and I really thank appreciate you. you. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate Chris, it. Chris, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Chris. You bet.